First of all, can you all join me? I believe at this very moment, all the way on the other side of the world in Zambia, Africa, we have a very amazing man of God, uh, Pastor Jeremiah, and uh, his wonderful leadership team. We just want to say from Living Stones, hi to Zambia. Welcome, you guys. I don't know if you can see it on TV, but Pastor Susie has her Zambia sweatshirt. She's official. She's ready to go, all right? Thank you. Uh, but uh, I just want to say to Dick and Susie, thank you guys. Um, there was an amazing word given over their lives. You're going to read that? Well, no, that's a different one. Oh, okay. Uh, over Pastor Dick and Susie, over Pastor Dick in particular about the hourglass, that, uh, that the 70 nations and and looking at one little grain falling at a time. And basically the word was that God was going to enlarge the, that hourglass so that the sand was going to fall through faster. And uh, it, it's a great word. And we, we really believe that. And we lock our faith with you guys. And, and Susie and team were here, I mean, like all weekend, uh, all hours of the day. And I want to thank you and thank everybody that came and helped get those manuals together. Can we give them a hand? We love and appreciate you guys. Amen. 37 students. You guys. Share with us again. You guys leave uh, tomorrow. Isn't it exciting when God gives a prophetic word and you kind of hear it and you're like, what does that mean? Um, and then all of a sudden, through the years, it comes to pass. And Clay and Anita Brooks, who most of you know, love Global War Senior Missionaries, are going to be joining us for five weeks in Zambia along with Cora and Ashley. They're going to stay to launch the school when we come back. But he was here preaching in March of 2016. Okay. And he looked it up in his journal, knowing he was going to Zambia with us, and found this entry. He gave Livingstones a word when he was here. Back in, in several years ago. Okay. And this is what he said to Living Stones. First, he started with the words of a South African pioneer missionary, Robert Moffat. And he said, a famous quote from him, Many a morning have I stood on the porch of my house, looking northward towards Zambia, having seen the smoke arise from villages that have never heard of Jesus Christ. And then he said, the smoke of a thousand villages, the smoke of a thousand villages. Well, David Livingstone was in that meeting when Robert Moffat said that, and he ended up marrying Moffat's daughter. And, of course, he got a great call to missions, and he went northward to find not only those thousand villages, but tens of thousands. And, of course, um, God, God got the glory all through South Africa. And so um, Clay went on to say that a quote then from David Livingston as a young missionary was, I don't have unusual intellect. This day I just resolve that I will be an uncommon Christian. And Clay went on to say to Living Stones, be uncommon Christians. Be an uncommon church. That's good. Be true Living Stones. So isn't it crazy? A year and a half later, God has opened us, the, uh, opened for us the door to go to Zambia, David Livingstone's own stopping ground. In fact, we're going to get out to that city. Yeah. And um, I'm just wanting to say thank you to those who gave for the school, like you said, to those who helped us put manuals together. I believe that together we are going to um, see an uncommon, unusual Amen. outpouring of God's glory there. Amen. And this is one of those. Amen. Amen. And isn't it interesting, in the late 1800s, that's when that began with David Livingston. And here we are in the end times, and a little church called Livingstones is going to help complete the task. And in the 37 students, we have other nations represented of Africa 
So I really believe his vision is a large vision. We're training not only those for Zambia, but throughout Africa. And this is our first time um, tackling a whole new continent as far as the Roar School, Africa. Amen. So it's big potatoes, little <laughs> us, uh, small intellect, great God, yeah, <laughs> and uncommon grace. So. Come, on. Come on. And, you know, I want us to... Uh, Sometimes we're, you know, we blow and go through life and we don't stop to celebrate the, uh, the milestones. This is a milestone for us. We've never been in Zambia before, never had launched a rural school in Zambia, never done what we're doing. You guys were sending you out apostolically, uh, pioneering something. We're all a part of this. And, uh, and we're so excited, again, for what God's doing. Chris, you got a word? Okay. I've, I've mentioned it before. When I first looked at the map of Zambia on the whole continent, it was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is the picture of a, a baby in a womb. Okay, and what is awesome is then, Pastor Dick, you said that not just Zambians are going to be attending, but other nations are going to be attending the Roar as well. And so what's happening is that in this place, something huge is being birthed Amen. in the whole Africa. And so we just give praise and thanks, glory to his name for what he's doing. Amen. Amen. Go for that, Pastor. Hallelujah. Amen. So extend your hands toward these guys. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we just pray into that prophetic word that Clay had, the prophetic word that Chris just shared. Lord, that uncommon people like us uh, could be uncommon believers in that nation, lovers of people, lovers of you. God, that you take Dick and Susie now as we send them like, like seed, Lord, that we're launching out from this place. Just strengthen them, body, soul, and spirit. Lord, we pray for an apostolic anointing to fall on them, that, that, the, that as they work with the team there, God, that there would be such unity and, and common vision, and Lord, that there would be some amazing uh, cornerstones and, and foundation blocks that are laid so that not only this baby that's being born, but as Chris just shared, Lord, we believe that this will be a womb that will uh, spring forth many, many sons and daughters who will not only be impacting the nation of Zambia, but starting Roar schools and churches around all the nations in that region, Lord. So thank you, God, for what you're doing. We celebrate you, and we celebrate the joy, Lord, of, of partnering with you and the privilege of doing so. Now, Lord, go ahead of them, and may this just be the most amazing, amazing time. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 We love you guys. Love Proud you. of you. Awesome. This is fun, isn't it? Fun, fun, fun. All right, let me encourage you today uh, in our series on living larger. So if you get your Bibles, I'll get them open to Matthew 22. We're going to get there in just a moment. But I love, uh, it's fitting that we're launching Pastor Dick and Susie tomorrow. Uh, and I want to go back to the quote from a famous missionary, William Carey, that we shared last week. And I challenged you in the spirit of William Carey, let's expect great things from God and let's attempt great things for God. Amen? Before I do that, I just have to say this. You know, for years... Uh, you know, stuff happens in our lives. We work, we work shift work. My son Joel was up all night long plowing, and he was up playing drums this morning. I came in, and, and I said, man, you had a short night. He said, yeah, I had. I, I just literally came from there to here. Now, David Walton did the same thing for many years, working shift work, and you wondered why the passion coming out of David. Imagine the passion that could come out if he got eight hours of sleep, all right? <laughs> he was coming here sleep deprived. But I just have to pause here just to say this. 
I love that kind of dedication and commitment. Uh, and I love it when God's people act that way, that just say, hey, you know what, yeah, I've been up plowing all night, but I'm going to go worship the Lord. Uh, and so I just need to highlight that. Our worship team is committed. We have so many people that are so committed like that. Thank you, guys. All right, parenthetical, back to the message. I encouraged you last week, let's expect big things from God this year. And then let's attempt to do big things for God. What is the expectation you have? Where is the area where you're saying, God, this is my heart's cry? I, I was reading a book by uh, the, the pastor of Times Square Church, uh, Carter Conley, I believe is his name. It's a book on prayer. And he was sharing that when he got saved, he was a, a younger man, had a police officer background. When he got saved, this is the prayer God put in his heart. Lord, I would love to see over 100,000 people come to know you through my lifetime. Now, I mean, you know, that's a big prayer. And that wasn't a prayer that was like, I want to be somebody. It was a prayer that just, God, take my life, and I want you to do great things through my life. And guess what happened? He saw many people come to the Lord. He ended up taking over David Wilkerson's pulpit at Times Square Church, which is no small thing. David Wilkerson, great man of God. But here's the beautiful thing. Um, he found himself on a stage, on a platform in Nigeria in 2003, and there were over a million people uh, there for that crusade. And he preached the gospel there in front of all those, those faces, and over 100,000 people gave their lives to the Lord in one gathering. Now, how many of you know God wants to fulfill the greatest dreams in our life? Many times it won't happen immediately. There's a process. But here's what I'm challenging you guys. Could we dream some big dreams this year? And could we think some big God thoughts this year? And could we, do, could we think and pray some, some dreams large enough that are worthy of God's attention? You with me? Worthy of God's attention. Not about us, about him. But big things about him that he wants to do through us. And then let's attempt to do them. You know, some of these things we're still trying to figure out and keep up with the Lord on how all this is going to happen. But that's the fun of it. Remember what the Lord, when the angel appeared to little Mary, her response was amazing. Uh, that's why I want you to, that should be the key word this year, amazing. Uh, when you get, you know, confronted with something that's bigger than you, what do you say? You don't cuss. No, you don't cuss. You say amazing. God is going to do something incredible. I don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm confident because he's a good God. Something good is about to happen. We have to get our brains enlarged. We got to get our thinking enlarged. We have to stop the stinking thinking, and we need to move also into the heart issue. Now, let me share with you. I'm going to talk today about no longer loving in a small way. We want to love big. We want to be big lovers of God and big lovers of other people. And in fact, I want to readjust our thinking. Sometimes we think that the most spiritual people are the most highly educated people. How many of you know from a biblical perspective that could not be farther from the truth? The most spiritual people in God's economy are the ones who love the best. Spiritual maturity in the kingdom is not measured by intellect. It's measured by love. And people who learn to love like Jesus, God gives them wisdom, God gives them all that they need, and they go do great things. So some of you might be thinking, man, I'm not a smart guy, but are you a lover? Are you open to moving more in the love of God? God is omniscient, which means he's really smart, so he's never impressed by human attempts to say, wow, I got all this education or whatever, and I'm not being down on education. In fact, I encouraged you last Sunday, if you want to see your passion for God grow, you have to attend to your mind. Because here's how this works. I want a fiery heart for Jesus. How about you? What causes the fire to burn? You got to throw wood on the fire. 
What is the wood we throw on the fire? It's the revelation of who God is, how much he loves us, the promises of God. If you're not filling your mind with truth, the fire in your heart's going to burn out. And I've seen this happen over time. People will be here at the altar. They'll be worshiping, yeah, Jesus. And then Monday comes and something happens and they don't even know by Friday if there's a God. Now they had goosebumps on Sunday and they're atheists by Friday. How many of you know they need some more wood? You need some more wood. So you need wood on the fire so you have light in your head and fire in your heart. And I want you to see how these go together. Because here's what happens. When I get a revelation of the love of God for me, for instance, it wrecks my heart. What happens to my mind? I'm hungry for more. I start reading more, seeking more. Uh, what happens when you say, hey, you guys, we've got a special meeting. This is a God thing. You know, show up. When is it? Tomorrow, 7 o'clock. Guess what you do? You drop everything and you go, I'm going to be there. Because here's what happens. Your heart is on fire for God and you don't want to miss out. You see how that works? I don't want to miss out. I got to be there. I got to be there. I don't know what God's going to do, but I got to be there. So if you feed the light in your head, it will produce fire in your heart. And the fire in your heart produces a passion for more knowledge in your head. And it's this beautiful cycle of revival that happens in your life. So I encourage you, read the Bible this year, not haphazardly, intentionally, until it becomes a lifestyle. Read a book a month. Not haphazard. In fact, this is my challenge to you. You don't go to bed on the 31st of the month until the book is finished. I'm serious. I'm dead serious. And here's what happens. By the end of 2019, you have a stack of new revelation and insight that you have fed yourself with. That's just one year. By the time you die, you got a presidential library happening in your house. All right, I'm just telling you. Everybody getting what I'm talking here? Feed yourself. Invest in yourself. Pour into yourself. Grow. Stretch your mind so that your heart has to keep up. Stretch your heart so that your mind has to keep up. It goes together. Now check this out. We're going to go to a crazy passage of Scripture. We got the smarty pants Pharisees. They send their law experts to Jesus in Matthew 22. And they're not there for more revelation and to fall in love with Jesus. They're there to trap Jesus and to uh, attempt to uh, expose him as some false prophet or something. But their intentions are terrible, and their law experts ask Jesus this question. Jesus, what is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? You can smell a trap right as it falls off their lips. What's the most important? Jesus doesn't miss a beat. I'm reading here from the Passion Translation. It says this. Jesus says, love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart, or with all your heart, with all the energy of your being, with every thought that is within you. This is the great and supreme commandment. Oh, and the second one is like it in importance. You must love your friend, or as most translators say, your neighbor, in the same way that you love yourself. Now let me tell you what should have happened at that very moment. The smarty pants Pharisee law expert should have been on his face crying out for mercy. Because let me ask you this question. Have any of you loved Jesus with every passion of your heart? No. Have any of us loved God with all of our energy? Nada. All right. How about every single thought we've ever conceived in our mind? Has it been a God-honoring, God-passionate thought? 
How many of you know guilty as prosecuted? What should have happened is everybody within the sound of Christ's voice should have been on their face begging for mercy. Because guess what? We're all guilty. None of us have ever loved God the way God expects and demands, and it should be rightfully loved. So we're guilty. What are we guilty of? A love deficiency. But that's not what the Pharisees did. In fact, these religious smarty pants never experienced repentance. In many places, it says, after Jesus said that, they got ticked off, and they gathered together to figure out how they could kill him. That doesn't sound very spiritual, does it? But that's what religious people do. Religious people miss what Jesus is trying to say. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you're going to fulfill the law, here's the law. Let me be the blazing center of your life. I want you to treasure me, value me, cherish me, admire me, and desire me more than anything else in your whole life. That's what I expect from you. How many of you at this very moment, you can raise your hand and say, help. All right. I'm serious. We need help. We need help to love God the way God deserves to be loved. And that's the whole point. See, some people wrongfully, they pick up their Bible, they read a commandment, and they go, oh, I can do that. Oh, I can't do that. Well, first of all, the one where you said you could do it, you're lying because you really can't. And the one where you said you can't do that, you're exactly right. And then you go, well, how does God expect me to do that? He absolutely expects you to do that, but not by yourself. Every commandment of God is meant to drive us back to the one who empowers us and supernaturally enables us to do what he commanded you to do in the first place, but couldn't do. That's why we need a savior. All the commands are meant to push us back to our savior because we're not meant to do these things alone. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 13. I'm skipping a little bit, Jim. Back down to the message translation. I love the way it says this. Paul speaking, talking about the supremacy of love. But for right now, he says, until that completeness comes, when Christ returns, we have three things to do to lead us towards that consummation. Here's what Paul says. If there are three things that you want to put on your refrigerator, guys, we're simple creatures. We we don't need a lot of detail. We're going to boil the cabbage down. Three things worthy of our focus and one in particular that should be priority. Look at what it says. Trust steadily in the Lord. Have faith in God. You can say amen after I share these. This is good. Secondly, hope unswervingly. That means that the anchor of our hope is established, and we might wiggle a little bit on the holding on to the rope, but guess what? The anchor is not going anywhere. You need to have hope established in your heart. And look at the third thing Paul says. Focus on loving extravagantly. Loving extravagantly. Not loving little bit, or loving sometimes, but in the demonstration of our love, it should be an extravagant demonstration. And he says here, and the best of these, the most important thing, in fact, in fact, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 1 says to pursue love, or let love be your highest goal. Why? Because love is the foundation from which real faith comes, from which real hope comes. I, 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 I want to challenge this today as a church family. What would happen if we just made one goal this year? To love better than we've ever loved before. What would happen in our relationships? What would happen in our church family? How about this? What would happen in our outreach? What would happen in our conversations? In fact, this is interesting. Don't, this is not on the screen, but just listen to me. Paul gives 10 quick characteristics of what love looks like. Listen to these and feel convicted like me. Love is patient when it's under stress. Anybody been impatient? or have a problem with impatience. 
What's the problem? You don't love enough. You have a love deficiency. Look at number two, kind at all times. Generous, not envious. Humble, not self-promoting. Never rude. We don't manipulate people with shame. We're not irritated or easily offended. We celebrate honesty. We don't focus on the flaws and the faults of other people. Instead, we're loyal to the very end. That's what Paul said love looks like. How many of you know we got some work to do? But what if we really believed in one another? What if we barely noticed when somebody did it wrong? What if we weren't impatient with somebody's carnality because they're still a baby Christian and they're trying to get free? What if somebody shared something and it was rude and it wasn't in the right tone, but we chose not to pick up the offense even when it was handed to us? How would this transfer to our marriages? How would this transfer to the way we parent our children? Man, we all need more love, do we not? And if we had it, and if we moved in it, and if we made this our aim to live larger because we're loving larger, I'm telling you, we wouldn't even recognize this place in a, a year from now. And you wouldn't recognize yourself a year from now. And the ripple effect, if just one of us gets this and begins to live it, the ripple effect would be crazy. So how about all 500 of us get it, all right? And we all begin to focus on loving better, loving larger. Now let's, let's look at real love. We talked about that. Let's look at fake love. Turn with me to Matthew 23, verse 23. Here's fake love. And the Pharisees were experts at fake love. In fact, religious people are really good at fake love. Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and Pharisees. Jesus called them frauds and pretenders. Look what he says. For you are obsessed with peripheral issues. Everybody say peripheral issues. Side issues. Issues that are not important on the grand scheme of things. And he gives an example. God, through Moses, had given us the law of tithing. In fact, it predates Moses. Right? It's, not, it, it, it's before the law. So he doesn't say that tithing is bad, but look what he says. You Pharisees are obsessed. You take tithes on the herbs in your garden. So here's my, here's my dill plant growing over here, and the Pharisees want you to know that this beautiful dill plant, I'm going to tithe off my dill plant, and I want you all to see me giving this dill to God. Evidently, so God can make pickles or something. I don't know what he's going to do. But I want you all to notice that, that I'm, I'm even giving a tenth of my dill plant here to God. And Jesus says, that's fine. He didn't, he didn't condemn it. He says, that's fine. But he says, here's the problem. He says, these matters are fine, but you ignore the most important duty of all. How about this? Walk in the love of God. Display mercy to other people. Live with integrity. How about this? Let's let our word be our bond. Let's let when we say that we're going to do something, that we do it. Let's not give 80% truth, 20% lie. How about we give 100% truth all the time? How about we live with integrity so that what we look like in public and what we look like in private are the same? Y'all know what I'm talking about. He, in fact, he says, let's readjust our values and place first things first. See, some people, they're legalists. They get all tripped up on the law, the law, the law, the law, the law, and they miss the fact that there's a spirit behind the law. How many of you know, if, if, you, if you, each month you get your paycheck and you sit down religiously and you write your tithe check and you get ready to give that on Sunday, 
but you're chewing out your wife. You're full of anger. You write it begrudgingly because you want to, you know, please pastor or something. I don't know why people give, but the point is you're not giving it under the spirit of why that instruction was given. That's why the Lord says, I don't want your money if you're not full of joy and you're not giving it out of a thankful heart. I don't even want it because he doesn't need it. What he's trying to get is that the spirit of the law comes out of us. So it's not about standing by your dill plant, counting how many branches and giving God one out of every ten. That's not the spirit of giving. In fact, generosity means there's such a flow out of your heart, you're not counting nickels and dimes. Now, please don't anybody be offended by this. I don't mean it to be offensive, but sometimes I just giggle because sometimes people will write their tithe check down to the penny. If you make $1,278.32, then they just move the decimal over to to the left, and then it's to the penny. Let me encourage you to do something. Just round it up. Centier Bank rounds it up. We should too. If someone says, I need $31 and you got two 20s, just bless them. That's what a spirit of generosity does because it's coming out of a heart of generosity. And love doesn't count nickels and dimes. Love just wants to bless people. So don't get focused on, as Jesus said here, peripheral issues. Well, what's Living Stones about? We're going to love people. We want to make hell empty, heaven full. We want to go to the nation. You know, sometimes, and if if you're here today, don't take this as an offense, but sometimes if I get a 45-page questionnaire on doctrine, I just want to tell the person, you're probably not going to fit at Living Stones. Because number one, I am not going to fill out your 45-page questionnaire on doctrine because I don't have enough time. Number two, it's not that doctrine isn't important. But I'm not going to tell you my doctrinal position on everything because you know what? Frankly, everybody in this room might have a slightly different doctrinal opinion and still be orthodox. Now, there are some things we're not going to shift on, like is Jesus the Savior, okay? But there's so much where the body of Christ has minute differences. So here, check this out. I'm not going to focus on peripheral issues while people are going to hell because I'm not going to argue with Christians because we don't have enough time for that. So we're going to go aggressively after lost people, after broken people, after hurting people. We're going to grow people and we're going to multiply leaders and we're going to take over planet Earth together. Do you guys need any more specific details? <laughs> so with a smile we're going to do it yes in the love of god how about this if you had a choice between you know mastering some doctrine that you're going to run around and beat everybody over the head with or being more loving i vote be more loving this year huh? love more people now please someone don't hear me. that church doesn't care yes we care deeply about the word of god and doctrine is critically important But don't get stuck on peripheral issues when there are bigger issues. Namely, let's get full of the love of God and go love as many people as we can right into the kingdom of God. Amen? In case you haven't found this out, it's amazing how people are so much more open to listen to what we have to say after they're convinced that we love them. 
Love might be a strong word. After they're convinced that we like them. Am I speaking the truth? People won't even listen to you if you're like this. And people don't want to be around people that are always like this. In fact, people that are like this, let me just, I'm going to help you out. You have a love deficiency. I wish I could give you a vitamin. It doesn't work that way. But God wants to give you himself. He wants to enlarge us so that we're able to love the way he wants us to love. And people that are good lovers are fruitful people. Fruitful people. Let's make sure we major on love. Now let me just say this. Sometimes people are afraid. I love the way Pastor was here. If you were here Friday night, he said, Americans will tell me, isn't Pakistan dangerous? He says, I watch your news at nighttime. There's more violence in America than there is in Pakistan. I know sometimes God calls us to go to places that seem dangerous. Can I just tell you something? Most places in the world are never as dangerous as the devil would make them out to be in your mind. So go. I remember when we were leading teenagers on the mission field, and we'd be in a country that was as big as Texas, and they'd, then the media, because the media is always looking for, for trouble, right, to broadcast, so the media would find out, hey, there were 14 people that are throwing rocks out on the streets having a protest. Of course, they were all rallied up for the media to capture, and we get calls from parents. Um, are you still going on that mission trip? There's 14 people, let's say in Dallas, we're in San Antonio, and there ain't nobody throwing rocks down there. And yeah, we're still going to San Antonio, but if they throw rocks down there, we'll be all right. Because here's the deal. Most of why we don't love is because we live in fear. In fact, listen, the opposite of fear is not courage. Some people go, I just need more courage. I just need more courage. I just need more courage. No, you don't. You need more love. What is, what is most people's biggest fear? I'll tell you. Speaking in front of people used to be one of my biggest fears. Let me tell you why it's most people's biggest fear. What am I going to say? Am I going to sound stupid? Am I going to have anything to add? Is anybody going to like it? Is anybody going to respond to me? If I give an altar call, will anybody listen? If I tell a joke, will anybody laugh? Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I'm just not going to talk. What's the focus of all that? What if this were my focus? How can I love you guys? How can I share something that's going to help you? How can I encourage you? How can I bless you? How can I understand? Lord, help me understand these people. What do they need? Lord, what from your, you know, you got all kinds of things you said in the Bible. What do they need to hear? How can we bless these people? Maybe they have a physical need. How can we help you physically? What can we do to help you? What can I do for you? Then guess what's happening? I'm not afraid. I'm excited. It's just a shift. So whenever you're talking in front of people, all you got to do is ask this question. What can I do to bless them? What can I do to encourage them? What can I do to give them hope? And if you'll make your audience your focus instead of you, you'll have a great time. I told you before, I'm an introvert at heart. (laughs) But I'm free. (laughs) Because I'm really not an introvert. I'm full of God and the Holy Spirit. I'm born again and have a call in my life. And I'm still working on the jokes. But anyway, I'm I'm trying to be... uh, I'm trying to be, you know, somebody that's not all hung up on me. How about this? You know, the Holy Spirit says something. Hey, go, go reach out to that lady over there in the, in the booth at the restaurant. <gasps> I mean, it's really kind of a little thing, isn't it? But we freak out about that. Why? What are they going to think? 
Maybe, maybe they're going to think I'm weird. Maybe they're going to think I'm going to hurt them. Maybe, why don't you go just talk to them and say hi and smile? How many of you know this thing right here? It keeps people guessing. It also diffuses a lot of things. And so the, the pathway to loving better start with this. There's sometimes I preach and I swear to God, I look out and some people look like they're full of the devil and they would kill me if they could. <laughs> that might not be the expression on your face, but you should be asking yourself, what does my face look like when pastor's speaking, all right? <laughs> all right, you might not even be aware of it, but I'm telling you, help yourself out. Help me out, because I got to look at you while I'm talking, all right? I got to look at you while I'm talking. So if you would smile at me, it would encourage me. And I would know, okay, God, am I hitting the mark here? All right. Love people. Let me boil it down more simply. Love people. Let me help you. Just love people. Love people. How how are we going to say it? Love them. But we need to get enlarged. And that requires God to do something in us. Let me have the band come up. Because here's what we're going to do. I want want to go out singing today, but I want to go out praying today. And I want to challenge us. I mean this as sincerely as I can be. We have got to be supernaturally changed by the revelation of who God is and his love for us. We have to be healed. Some people don't love well because they're hurt. They got to get their insides healed. What happens when you come before the Lord? You know, I've had people say to me, Pastor, you know, you know, I don't really know, you know, how do you worship? I kind of, maybe you stand here during worship and you look at the screen, you're not sure what to do. Let me help you out. Shut your eyes, unless you don't know the words, then open one, all right? <laughs> but people will say, you know, I, you know, I wish I could just like raise my hands and be free, but I, you know, I just, I, listen, you're like, I'm, but people are around me, okay? Shut your eyes. Now who's around you? Nobody. <laughs> it's just you and God. And so what do you do? You say, God, I just want to get free, and I, I want to worship you, God, and I want to talk to you, and I want to focus on you. You see what I'm saying? It's not that hard. But how do you get an encounter in here? You have to open up and let whoo, the Holy Spirit come in. Does this make sense? It's called surrendering to the Lord. How do you get really passion in your heart for Jesus? I'll tell you, I was in my office the other day working on stuff, and I had the worship music playing, and a song came up, and instantly when I heard that song, the Holy Spirit just wrecked me. I started bawling. He snuck up on me. He had been wooing me with a few songs, got me warmed up, and all of a sudden, ha, he jumped me. And the next thing, I was wiped out. And here's what you do. You know, you don't go, oh, man, I almost lost it. No, lose it, for God's sake. He's trying. What do you mean? You're like, you're like, what are you doing? God is trying to wreck you. Let him wreck you. Oh, I can't cry. I can't cry. I can't cry. Cry. It means your heart's coming alive. Laugh. It means the truth of God is exploding in your heart. Shout! It means that something is going off and your brain and your heart are having a wedding and you can't contain it because you're excited. This is not black church, David. Come on. Sometimes we think this is ethnic. This ain't ethnic. This is kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. People, people come to Living Stones, they say, man, I've never seen you know, people so authentically worshiping. Sometimes it scares me to hear that. Like, what's going on in God's church? 
Have we become just casual onlookers, or are we engaged in the Lord? This is our time to pour our heart out to God. This is our time to repent if we've been selfish. This is our time to say, God, rip me open. I need more of you. That's what worship is. This is when you have a supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit so you can live out there like Jesus. You can't love like Jesus without Jesus. You can't love your wife without Jesus. You can't love your kids without Jesus. You certainly can't love your coworkers without Jesus. We need to be so wrecked by God that we're just full of the joy of the Lord. And we're looking, how can I bless somebody? How can I bless somebody? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to open the altar. I'm going to shut my eyes. I'm going to pretend like all y'all ain't even here, all right? And here's what we're going to do. As we worship, we're going to say this to the Lord. Help! How am I supposed to love you with all my heart and my soul and my mind and my strength? God, I'm empty. God, I'm dry. God, I'm a I'm sinner. I've, I've, I've messed up. Lord, help me. And guess what God will do? He'll help you. Stand your feet with me right now. And if you're hungry for more, to experience, as Paul said, the width, the depth, the height of the supernatural love of Jesus Christ, then I want you to come forward in faith, and I want you just to go after God with me. Don't just stand. I want you to worship. Just you and the Lord. You do business with God. God wants to enlarge us this morning. So let's go after him. Come on, worship team, lead us. Lift your voices up. Lift your heart up. Lift your hand up. Let's get more. More, 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 more.